I wanted to understand in combination with the uh, with the psi, the physiological psi, does it have the power of becoming like a biomarker? And first of all, like, what does it mean for humans? What does psiing mean? And then is, is there something like size per minute or size per hour that can actually tell us more about the human body? Um, I'd be delighted to talk about this. So the if you look at the lung, the lung consists, the air exchanging space in the lung, consists of about four to 500 million tiny spheres. Maybe, I think they're about 100 microns in diameter. Forgive me if that number is incorrect. I just don't remember correctly offhand. They're very, very tiny spheres. But there are so many of them, the surface area is about 70 square meters. About a third of the side is a tennis court. So it's this huge volume. But... Because the spheres are so small, and in order to keep them working properly, they're lined with a fluid called surfactant. It's just a liquid. Because they're so small, they have a small tendency to collapse. And they're collapsing all the time at a very low rate. But when one collapses, that part of the lung can't be used for gas exchange. Now, if you have 500 million of them, losing one or two is not going to matter. But over time, it accumulates. Now, if you ever tried to blow up a wet balloon, a balloon that's wet on the inside, you know, if, and if you've never done it, take a balloon, put a little water inside, rub it together so the ends are sticking, and they stick because of surface tension of the water, you realize that when you try and blow it up, it's not the normal amount of pressure that blows it up. You have to have an extra amount of pressure to overcome the surface tension. Same thing with the lungs. So every time an alveolus collapses, a normal breath is not going to pop it open. You need a deep breath. This is where physiological size comes in. So every five minutes or so, you take a deep breath. And to be candid in asking lots of people, including some, uh, some renowned scientists, how often we sigh, they typically were off by an order of magnitude. Very few lay people believe that we sigh five per minute. Of course, some people say they sigh every minute, and that may be true because they're under a lot of stress. Um, but this is physiological. Now, we also have another thing that induces stress, and that relates to emotional state. So, in fact, this is how we made this discovery that a particular class of molecules called bombosin-related peptides are critical. When you're stressed, you secrete from your hypothalamus, which is a part of your brain that produces a lot of very fundamental hormones, these peptides. And at the same time, your psi rate goes up. And what we did is we then got some of the peptides we injected it into the prebutsular complex in mice, and we found that their psi rate went from about 40 per hour. We originally did it to rats, excuse me, to like 500 per hour. I mean, it was just shocking how powerful it was. And then with uh, the Stanford group, Kevin Yackel, Mark Krasno, and Pung Lee, we went into detail, and we found that there was a circuit, a simple circuit, that seemed to be responsible for physiological size. But these size that get produced by stress, elation, may have several roles that go beyond any physiological role in needing to inflate the lung. Because if you're doing it every five minutes, you should be fine. But, you know, we know that any deep breath tends to relax you. So now if you're stressed, if 
the release of these hormones causes you to sigh more often, it's likely to produce a phenomenon where you may be a little bit more relaxed. It may not be enough to relieve all the stress, but you'll be a bit more relaxed. It also is a way we can communicate to others. If you see someone sigh, particularly often, uh, it sends a, a signal which you may not recognize consciously, but you recognize is that maybe there's something wrong. This person is stressed. Now we also stress when uh, we also sigh when we're elated. You know, you see a loved one, you see a beautiful sunset. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's beautiful. And that's just another expression. You know, as primates, we use things around our face to communicate. And the control of that is not by the normal volitional control system. There's a separate control system to this emotional communication. And doing these kinds of size could be part of that family of, of activities that allow you in social settings to communicate what your state of body is. Wow. So is, is yawning a master sigh then in that case? Like, <laughs> uh, 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 forgive me for laughing because colleagues who feel otherwise will excuse me. We're not really sure why we yawn. You know, there's the notion that it's a, you're bored and it's, a, it's, it's contagious. It's social communication. You know, if, if in the middle of this podcast I started to yawn, you would begin to wonder if I'm bored it would not be a good sign of our conversation, even if it's not meant to be. It could be to help clear the eustachian tubes. So, you know, when you get your eustachian tubes clogged, like when a plane lands, you try and yawn. It may have some reflexes to do with regulating uh, muscle activity. So I, I have to admit, I don't really know. And I think if you do a deep dive into the literature, there is no single or even a few things that clearly explain why we're yawning. It's a bona fide phenomenon and it definitely has effects, but how it evolved, I, I don't know. You know, we're not the only animals that yawn. So uh, it goes beyond just human communication. Wow. One of the things I noticed is that just like we mimic each other while yawning, as you mentioned, I probably like sighed a few times while you were sighing as well. <laughs> It's just like, probably it's just human uh, mimicking, mimicking each other. But it's... it's or, just, or maybe we yeah. just synchronized. So your rate may have synchronized with my rate. So instead of being responsive overtly, it's just we're synchronizing. Because when you have oscillations that are about the same frequency, they often now begin to, to oscillate together. You know the phenomena of fireflies? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. At, at dusk, fireflies will be firing randomly, lighting up randomly. But if you're patient and wait, all of a sudden you'll see that they'll start synchronizing. And so oscillations like to synchronize. So maybe that's what's happening. Yeah, no, I think we, we, we probably would be more simple and complex than we think uh, at the same time. <laughs> uh, it's a paradox. Absolutely. Uh, but for me to summarize this, if I sigh more, more number number of size per hour if that is a metric for me if i sigh more then that's a probably that could be a sign of a stress event if i sigh less then what's the ideal it could potentially affect my alveoli my lungs uh, and my lung health overall so there is sort of like a middle range uh well you know it's not a range we set consciously it's 
probably set by receptors in the lung, which are detecting this alveolar collapse and uh, providing that. Or we simply could have a, a oscillation in the prebuscular complex that is not only breath to breath, but is much slower. And I have colleagues who have speculated on what that mechanism may be for the intrinsic oscillation of the prebuscular complex, because we know that the alveoli are going to collapse. So we don't need to wait for a signal. We can just do it in what's called the feet forward way. We do it every five minutes. Now, I'm not a physician, and I don't know what the clinical data is, but I would imagine that there are certain lung diseases where there are problems with, with uh, the elastic tissue of the lung and the alveoli that the psi rate may change. But uh, that is not something I have any expertise in. No, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we would love to probably explore uh, outside this is uh, it's not in a clinical way. We don't have medical grade device. Uh, I mean, we do have medical grade devices, but we don't have FDA approved devices yet. But uh, we have the ability to measure respiratory rate, number of size per hour, etc. And probably there are that data is, is of, of, of some worth over time when there is longitudinal data. 